Production support for Soundbites is made possible by listeners and by Coffee by Design, growing a business committed to community and sustainability locally and worldwide. Coffeebydesign.com. Welcome to Soundbites, true stories told by local Mainers and nationally recognized storytellers. The themes are always changing, and the hosts are from all over the nation, but when you hear the name Soundbites, you're in for a unique storytelling experience. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. This week's stories were told live at One Longfellow Square in Portland, where the season four finale's theme was Unmasked. Here's today's host, retired talent agent and current seven-time Moth Story Slam champion, Sandy Marks. Sandy Marks! Okay, so um, ever since I was like eight years old, there was one holiday that I really seriously hated, and this is going to surprise you, but it was Thanksgiving, okay? Now, I wasn't woke, okay? It wasn't like I knew about the looting and the pillaging and all that stuff. I was a selfish little bratty kid. It wasn't that. It was because my mother, Greta Handelman, who for 51 weeks a year was lovely. She was like... um, like she looked like Tyne Daly, if you know who that is. She was just like this big, delicious, blousy, sweaty woman who I loved. She was like the kind of woman who would like burst into a song in the middle of a department store for no reason, and I just loved it. She was an amazing woman. But this one week, this woman became—I'm not kidding—Joseph Mengele. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the deal is, is that this Gestapo for the week um, would become like that. Because we were always broke. We had a kind of rough life going back then. My sister was always sick. She had a cardiac condition, which was always kind of a problem because we were always in and out of hospitals. My father, God bless him, couldn't keep a job. We lived in a tiny little apartment. There wasn't a whole lot of joy going on, but my mom hosted for our entire family Thanksgiving. This was her day. And all of a sudden, this woman, who seemed kind of normal, became a crazy person. So she would have my sister and I in control of all of the chores that needed to get the house ready for having all of our cousins and aunts and uncles over for this big dinner. Now, when I say having everybody over, it was a melange of crazy people because my grandparents were first cousins. Okay. So, I mean, this isn't an accident, okay? This happens when there's just some inbreeding happening. And so our Thanksgivings were like a room full of people with lazy eyes and low IQs. And there was, my uncle stuttered. There was a lot of going down. And my mother wanted to prove to the rest of the misfits in the family that we were like the royals. Like she thought, like, like this was way before Downton Abbey, but she, okay, so this is a list. It was like a CVS receipt list that my sister and I had to tackle. One, we had to lemon oil all of our furniture. Now when I say furniture, what I mean is we had like tag sales everywhere, but that my mother one day went on a tear and bought this thing, if you're old enough to remember, called Antique It. Does anyone here know what that is? It's a kit 
that you buy to take your substandard furniture and then make it much, much worse. <laughs> much worse. You would like streak this strange brush over your mildly fake maple to make it look shabby chic and it just looked super shabby. And, and it was done by my mom when she was like raging about something, probably when my father was between jobs. So it just looked like an angry five-year-old went nuts over all the furniture. And now she wants us to lemon oil it. It's like, talk about lipsticking a pig. I mean, what's the point? But that was like the fun job. Now the other job was, we had a polish the family silver, which was this beautiful tea set that my grandmother had given my mom because when my mom was a young child, she actually came from like a good home until she met my dad when things went south. So there was this family silver, and we, my sister and I, were in charge of polishing it. And I distinctly remember once, in the process of using that Noxon, I fainted. I was eight, okay? It's like child labor. And my mother, like, revived me and said, okay, get back to it. You know, it was like... You know, this stuff isn't going to polish itself. So, all right. So these were the things we had to do. Then she would send my dad all through our apartment building in Queens to borrow um, bridge car tables from all of our neighbors because we didn't have a dining room nor a dining room table. We were hosting this in our foyer, which is the hall between the kitchen and the living room. So we would assemble like eight card tables. None of them were the same height. Okay. You know, so they're all next to each other. I don't know who my mom thinks she's fooling. Like she throws her decorative Hallmark tablecloth over it. And then she has her, these gourds and I don't know what the hell. She has them stored in the closet. Her cornucopia, I don't know what that is. And every year she would bring out that same stuff and put it on the table. Everyone knows what's going on here. She's just trying to hide all the cracks. And then she had this one Hallmark, like three-dimensional turkey that you buy. She, and my mom is thinking, oh, this is going to make it real, like, real classy. So she'd put that in the middle. It was a mess. And every year we'd go through this, and every year it was the same thing. And it was just, okay. But we did it. This was our holiday. This is what we had to do. Except one year, Christmas came early. Because I got a phone call like, the, like two days before Thanksgiving. I was 17 years old. And a friend of mine, Angela, called, and she said, do you want to be in the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade? She had me at do. I was like, <laughs> I mean, come on. Not even to talk about not having to be at home mashing my mother's sweet potato pudding with the jumbo marshmallows and canned pineapple, which she did not drain. Delicious. It's delicious. It's delicious. But I... I'm like, yes, oh yes, I'm gonna do this. She said, okay, well you have to report to Macy's tomorrow morning at like 8, 8 0800, you know, it's like, yes sir. So now I gotta tell my mother, I gotta tell this woman who is being very unreasonable about our chores that I have to take some, a few hours off being, you know, I've already spent like four days polishing. I'm gonna go and, but I'm thinking like, okay, now at this point I'm 17, I'm old enough, so I'm thinking, I'm the boss of me. I, I'm old enough. I mean, back in the prairie days, women my age had two children. I'm going to do this. So I don't ask. I tell my mother, I say, Mom, 
I'm going to be in a parade. And she's like, yeah, right. I said, oh, yes, I am. I said, I will be back with plenty of time to set your fancy table. I didn't say fancy because that would have been rude. She would have known I was being snarky. So I just said, I'll be back in time to set the table, but I'm going to, and she, what was she going to do? So she did what every Jewish mother since the beginning of time, it's the most powerful thing. If you're a Jew out there, you know this. She got real quiet. <laughs> And she said the one word that no Jewish daughter wants to hear, fine. <laughs> it's the worst, right? It's the worst. But I wasn't letting that stop me. I was going to be, no one was raining on my parade. Nobody. Okay, so the next morning I get up early. Now, I was advised to bring lots of layers of clothes. I did not heed that warning because it's like Halloween. You're going to put a coat over your costume? No. So I take the train downtown. Now, meanwhile, this is before the earth caught fire. So back in the like mid-70s, it was cold, like really cold. <laughs> like in New York, freezing cold, like sub-zero at Thanksgiving. I didn't care. I was like all hopped up because I was going to be in a parade. So I get to Macy's and they assign me my costume in the locker room. And I am going to be like an old style pilgrim woman, like on the Mayflower in the most fantastic pilgrimy costume with a hoop dress and a smock and gloves and a bonnet. I look like a sister wife, like a little Jewy sister wife. It's like so good. And then I found out you get an assignment, like what's your float? You know, you're gonna go on a float. And I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. And I know that there's gonna be a lot of like superstars there and actors and so I find out that I am assigned to a ship, which to be fair, looks like Pirates of the Caribbean. I know they were going for the Mayflower or the Nina and the Pinta, the Santa Maria. I don't know what they were going for, but it had that like Johnny Depp vibe. It was like very kind of goth. And the guests on the ship were none other than, if you're old enough to remember, the song stylings of the disco hit group, The Tramps. Do you guys? The Tramps. Now what the hell are The Tramps doing on a float on a ship where I'm dressed like I'm going to be churning butter or something. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It's like, what the hell is happening? I'm not asking questions. It's the float I've been assigned to. I am so excited. Okay, so we start, you start all the way uptown where all the floats are. And to be fair, really, what's Garfield doing in the parade, okay? What, are, what does any of this have to do with anything? None of it makes sense. It doesn't matter. Or like Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, what are these people? Does it matter? All right, so I get on with the tramps, and they are adorable. And they're not in the same costumes we're in. They just look like they're going to the disco in like velvet suits or whatever, and their platform shoes. And there is a smattering of us lovely women who all look like we have one husband, and we're all on there. And they tell us just be lively, be lively. And then they play one song on a loop, Disco Inferno. <laughs> And if you know that song, you have to wonder, why is this on the Thanksgiving Day Parade? And they just tell us, you gotta dance along. Now, I'm supposed to, I'm like, I was an actress. I studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse and with Lee Strasberg. And I am embodying my character who would not have known disco. So it doesn't, it goes against my grain, but I'm like, well, you gotta do what you gotta do. So I'm like, disco. <laughs> disco inferno burning. Now meanwhile, they're not singing, it's a loop. They're just, you know, they're doing their lip syncing. And we're, meanwhile, I don't know what it's like now because I haven't been, but 
It's like eight deep in the crowds, and the children are screaming maniacally. It's like you're famous. You feel like Justin Bieber. Like, you know, it's like that. It's like very exciting. So I think the adrenaline, I didn't realize. I was so cold, okay? Even though I had those little gloves, I had lost all sensation of, like, my trunk, my hands, my legs. Like, nothing. I felt nothing. I was dancing just so I wouldn't have, like, a black nose and black hand. Like, I had images of one of those climbers at Kilimanjaro, you know? So it was just dancing. And the whole time, all I thought about was how joyful this was, how freeing. I'm with the tramps. This is amazing. So we get all the way down. I'm not thinking about the smelly silver polish or that stupid lemon oil or any of that stuff. I'm just thinking about this joyous occasion. I don't think about my mom. I know she's got her head in the oven waiting for me to come home. And I get, I get all the way down to Macy's. It's the most incredible Highly recommend, if anyone asks you, I don't care how old or young, just go, okay? We get back to Macy's, I have to give back my costume, and all of a sudden I start thinking, oh shoot, I gotta get back on the train, I gotta get it back home. Uh, okay, so I get back home, my mother is surprisingly calm, I help her set the table, we still have a couple hours before, it's, it's really, it's like the Star Wars saloon, okay? Before all these people come over, they, you know, it's like, so, get home. And I'm like, oh, they're not even going to notice whether or not the salad fork's on the right side. Who cares? You know, we don't even use real napkins. We use paper towels. So what are we, what are we talking about? I get home, and I sit there, and I look at all this, these, my relatives, my misfit, all these relatives, we're all got that missing gene. We're all just like, mm. And all I can think about is how grateful and thankful I am that this is my family, and I had that opportunity. And going forward, Thanksgivings got better and better, and I strongly urge you this Thanksgiving to look around the room and just give thanks that you don't have my family. <laughs> Thank you. Sandy Marks is a New York-based storyteller and co-host of Taboo Tales. She's been on myriad podcasts and shows such as Risk, uh, Hot Mike with Dan Savage, uh, Story Collider, Sound Bites, and tons more. She's a seven-time Moth Story Slam champion. What? Yeah. It's crazy. She was featured at the Women's Comedy Festival in Boston. She's been on PBS's Stories from the Stage. This year, she performed her solo show, Happens. Um, to a sold-out audience at Joe's Pub in New York. And yes, amazing. And uh, Sandy is the subject of a documentary titled The Fabulist. And it's going to be released in 2020. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be amazing. If you want to know more about today's storyteller, well, you're in luck. Let's join our host backstage, now in conversation with today's teller. What's your most favorite or least favorite thing about Maine? Um, well, I certainly love coming to Sound Bites every year. This is probably one of my favorite things. And I also really love Allagash beer. I really am not a beer person, but every time I have an Allagash, I think about being in Maine, which makes me incredibly happy. Sweet. Who would you most like to share the stage with? I'd have to say my number one love right now is Chelsea Handler. I think everything about her is just perfection. I think she's brilliant and funny and human and just a wonderful person. And I would love to just 
I don't know, to have her move in with me, or at least for 15 minutes or an hour. Yeah, cool, me too. Uh, do you listen to yourself after you've told a story? Why or why not? If so, how soon? Um, well, I usually don't listen to myself after I tell a story because I'm very self-conscious and I'm sort of a self-flagellator. So I just assume everything is awful. Um, and then once I get some distance, sometimes I'll go back to it and then I'll give it a shot. But I usually like to just fly loose and, and not listen. Tell us some nugget or detail that is connected to your story, but that won't be in it or didn't make the final cut. Well, this is a family story, and there's a section about my dad that um, I could go on and on and on about all the things that drove me crazy, but I think the audience will be uh, ready to head for the hills if I do that. So I'm deciding to edit a good section about my father and just make the main points known. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad & Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. Special thanks also to GWI and Downey's Pension Services. More information about Soundbites, including how to attend a live storytelling event, can be found online at soundbitesme.org. And of course, you can always hear more stories at mainepublic.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>